These guys that you just saw in the video are very, very close personal friends of mine. I'm actually on the board of directors with Nelson, the one you saw with the goatee, and Sergio is the one moving to Monterrey, Mexico. Every year in Great Commission churches, we do an Antioch project right around Christmas time. It's an opportunity when the spirit of giving is at its highest to participate in some significant way in helping to reach others with the good news of Jesus Christ. And this year, we've decided to partner with our churches in Latin America and try to help them get this church planted in Monterrey, Mexico. You and I, as you know, live in the wealthiest country in the world. And we'd like to invite you to participate in some small way. $20 is what we'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider giving. Next week, there'll be envelopes in the bulletin. And if you make out a check, do not make it out to The Rock. Make it out to Great Commission Ministries. That's who we run these finances through. I can tell you from being down in Latin America, I was personally there helping to do fundraisers for these kinds of things. Those dear people give sacrificially, but they need so much more for this church plant. So much more. These folks are risking their livelihood, their lives. They've left everything. They're selling everything. They're in the process of selling everything in Tegucigalpa and moving to an entirely different country. And believe it or not, each country in Latin America has its own unique culture. Sergio himself is leaving our largest church in Latin America, probably over 3,000 people in the church at Tegucigalpa, to go begin again with his family in Monterrey, Mexico. So if you could help, we would greatly appreciate it. I guarantee you, they make that money go as far as it can possibly go. So if you would prayerfully consider that next week, $20 a person, if we could get that across our movement of churches, it would be a significant help for the churches there. Weren't these guys fantastic tonight? <clears throat> you know, I, I just have to make this comment. I, I watch people every week come in to the services, and I don't know if you realize how incredibly blessed you are to have the kind of music we have in this church. Not only the worship, but the specials. It's really mind-blowing. I've been around music and involved in music for almost... 35 years of my life. And in a lot of churches, I visited a lot of other churches, and I can tell you, there's something special that the Lord has given us here. And I'd just like to encourage you, when you come through those doors every week, come ready to worship. It's such a beautiful thing to be able to put the world out there, and we're in here, and just have the opportunity to sing to God and take in all that He's doing here and touching our lives. Someone came up to me and uh I was very touched by this, and she just said, Oh, I'm so excited, it's Friday night, and I'm here, it's The Rock. And, you know, that's the kind of attitude we have to come with. It's just such a privilege to be together, and sing to God, and be together with one another. See what the Lord has for us. Every Friday night, God has something significant for us if we're hungry, if we're ready, if we're eager, if we're teachable. If not, yeah, you know, same old, same old. We miss God. You know, it's easy to miss God. The Pharisees missed God. Multitudes of people missed the visitation of God on this planet. And they saw Him, and they could have talked to Him, and they could touch Him, and they could interact with Him, 
and they killed him. But there were others who didn't let the moment pass them by. And their lives were changed forever. And I still see that happening today. God is still just as alive, just as involved, just as miraculously working as he ever was when Jesus walked the planet. He still lives today and he works, but he can become, can't he, so mundane to us, so boring to us, so insignificant to us. You know, we might be counting down the hours so we can get out of here to go see Narnia tonight. I don't know. It's interesting, you know, we can be more wowed by computer animation than the living God touching our heart. And he wants to touch our hearts tonight. I'd like to invite you to bow your head with me for a moment. And I believe the Lord has some significant things that he wants to speak to us this evening. <clears throat> Father, we just thank you tonight. The talents and the gifts that you give to people. That we get to sit back and enjoy their heart to serve, and their preparation, and their skills, and their talent. And we thank you tonight, Lord, for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, it was through his poverty that we were made rich. <clears throat> the Bible says, though he was rich, he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich, and we are so rich tonight. I thank you for my brother Nelson, Lord, my brother Sergio Carlos, Nacho, so many of those guys I know personally. I've prayed with them. I've been in prayer meetings with them. I've gone out sharing with them. Been in conferences with them. I just thank you for the commitment of those men and their wives and their families. I ask you, God, that you'd provide for the church in Monterey. I ask you, Lord, you'd provide miraculously, financially, throughout this movement to help get that church established in that country. To bring Christ to that city. We ask you tonight, Lord, you're here. You're here in this room and we pray that you would speak to our hearts. <coughs> we ask you that you would touch our lives through the word of God in Jesus name. Amen. Before I get into the main topic tonight, which is the revolutionary path to greatness, I would like to just give you a few more thoughts on last week, Jesus revolutionary teaching on money and possessions. And there were just three simple things that I want to convey to you that I did not have time to share last week, but I want to, I want to complete this. The first is, wisdom prepares. <clears throat> it's very easy to read Matthew 6.33 and think to yourself, oh, I don't need to do anything. The birds don't do anything. The lilies of the field don't do anything. And that was Jesus' point, so I don't have to do anything. I'll just sit back, God will provide. That's not the essence and all that Jesus was trying to get across. Jesus was trying to get across that you have a choice in life. You either serve me, fully surrendered, all out, radically committed to me, or you serve money, but there's no in-between. And if you make the kingdom of God your primary concern, if you put Christ first, God will see to it that he provides for you now the most frequent way in which he provides is through a job. And I wanted to say especially to you young men and women here, because the majority of you here tonight are young men and women. Proverbs makes it very clear. Proverbs is a book in the Old Testament that wisdom prepares. It's essential that you prepare for your future. Not only walking with God, 
Beth, that you prepare some sort of vocation. Particularly, I want to speak to you young men for a moment. This is very important. If you're going to make a commitment, most of you in this room someday are going to be married. That's just statistically the truth, and most of you have that desire. I'm not saying you're bad if you don't have that desire. That's great. But most of you have that desire. If you want to live out the revolutionary teachings of Christ, which I won't get into this series, of the role of a husband and the role of a wife and train your children, then you young men are going to need to be able to make enough money and you young ladies are going to need to learn to live frugally enough that you can live on one income so that you can do it. And that's a fact. Now, you can write me your emails all you want. That's okay. Ain't going to change what I just told you. It's the reality. It can be possible. But you're going to have to make good choices. And you men, get prepared for your future work. Be disciplined and get some training. Some kind of training. So that as you follow Christ, most of you are going to be tent-making missionaries. There won't be many of you who are called to full-time ministry as I am. And many of the stories that I told you last week and all those difficult trials were my seminary training. I didn't deliberately choose to drive a $200 car. That's what the Lord <clears throat> intended for me. I didn't deliberately choose to live in a trailer that none of the windows would open and I paid $70 a month lot rent for. That's what the Lord had for me as I followed Him. Get prepared. Wisdom prepares. The wise man sees danger ahead, prepares to meet it. <clears throat> Second thing to understand is while frugality is a biblical principle, <clears throat> it will look a little different on each person depending on your own preferences and convictions. And I want to make this very clear. You may decide not to eat a baked potato. For those of you who remember me talking about baked potatoes last week, that's up to you. You may decide, as one of my friends, to buy your clothes at Savers. Someone else may decide to buy them at Kohl's. Someone else may decide to buy them at the mall. Frugality may look a little different on each person here. The bottom line is to understand that frugality is a biblical principle because we are living for the next world. I just received a, a, an email from a very dear friend, another pastor, a very reliable source, this individual is. And in his email, he quoted this statistic that today, the average individual and family is consuming three times as much as we did 30 years ago. That's what I meant when I said last year that America is in love with things and money. It should not be so with a Christian. It should not be so with a God-honoring, God-loving, revolutionary Christian. We live by a different standard of living. I have a motto, others may, I cannot. Others may, I cannot. Paul says all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are permissible, but not all things edify. And we need to think clear, clearly and carefully about the financial decisions that you make. Here's why. Now listen really carefully to this, because I did not say this last week. It's not your money. It's never been your money. 
Did you know that? It's all God's money. All the talents, all the money, all the time, all the resources God has given to you are like the story of the talents that God gave. And he's going to find out, were you faithful with them? Or did you squander them? And you will be rewarded accordingly or not rewarded accordingly. Your money is not your money. It was given to you by God. And yes, there's enough money there for you to live on. Frugally, wisely, by biblical standards. And enough money to provide God for the advancement of his cause. But the Lord doesn't want us looking at each other like, well, well, how come your car is newer than mine? You have to do what you believe is right before God and in light of the scripture. And I'm going to do, as I understand what I believe is right before God and the scripture. And to our own master, we stand or fall. But let's not fool one another. The vast majority of Christians are living in sin in this area and are as greedy for the things of this life as the non-Christian neighbor. That's a fact. Their indebtedness and their lifestyles are evidence of it. But at the same time, as we follow the Lord radically together, you may decide that as you weigh out your finances, that it would be better if you bought this instead of this. I have friends that I have a very good friend that bought a very expensive automobile because they intend this car to last them 17 years. That's not my preference of how I buy cars, but I happen to know this individual. <clears throat> I know them very well, and I know their commitment to Christ, and it is unquestionable. In other areas of their life, they live, you look at them and go, wow, that's an extreme amount of sacrifice. The third thing that I want to make clear is this. Generosity, listen very carefully to this. Generosity is as much an important investment for your future as a 401k plan is. Generosity is as much an investment for your future now and in eternity as a 401k is for your future retirement. And it's very important to understand that. As I look at my life now, and I look at the, the many things that the Lord has done, answers to prayers, provisions of God, I can honestly say to you, it has been because of obedience to the promises of God as it relates to generosity. The Bible says the generous man will prosper. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when we give, when we share with others, in time, it will come back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. The Bible says give, and it will be given to you, pressed down, Shaking together and overflowing. That means you take that sand, you shake it, shake it, you pack it down, you shake it, you pack it down, and then it starts overflowing the top. That's the promise of God. 
I'm not speaking here a prosperity gospel like what you would hear on TV. I'm simply telling you the simple truth that generosity is as important as you putting money aside in a savings account for your future. They're both very important. And you may skip one and miss out on the other. And multitudes of Christians are doing that. They're saving for themselves. They're putting money aside so they can make $75,000 a year in a retirement. And the average person lives only four years in retirement. Four or five. And your money goes to someone else. Or you can put less aside and be generous now. And you will prosper. Now, I want to talk with you tonight about a revolutionary path to greatness. When the world thinks of greatness, when the world talks about a pathway to greatness, what does it generally think? Talent. <clears throat> greatness goes to the talented. Competition. I was thinking about this today. <clears throat> Can you imagine the National Football League? Everybody's fighting for who could be last place. I mean, imagine a, a wrestling competition where... The goal is to lose. You know, that's exactly what Jesus tells us to strive for. We'll get to that in a moment. The world competes with one another. Or one-upmanship. The path to greatness is one-upmanship. I've got to be a little bit better. I've got to be a little bit better. I've got to be a little bit better. And we compete. And we compete. Or assert yourself. Hey. Nobody's going to notice you without a little self-promotion. Just promote yourself just a little bit more. Just brown nose just a little bit more. Just get yourself in just the right place, in the right spot, and promote yourself a little bit more. <clears throat> Be the boss. Be the person with the servants. But don't be the servant. Be a star. I, it's just amazing to me. Isn't it amazing? I don't know if it's amazing to you, but <clears throat> I haven't watched much of American Idol, but I've caught a few of the episodes with all these incredibly untalented people who want to be a star. We're enamored in this country. We are enamored in this country with being a star. We're enamored with stars. And let me just be frank. Most of their lives are just a joke. A sad joke. And we're enamored with them. People will do anything to get on television for a few moments of what the world considers greatness. Did you know what the Bible tells us? Jesus himself said that what the world admires, that what the world calls admirable and valuable is an abomination to God. See, God has an opposite system. It's an opposite system. Not just different. It's opposite. It's contrary to the way we look at life. The world says, and make sure people love and adore you. It's amazing, isn't it? How people want to be loved and adored. They just, they just, they want to be loved and adored. That's a dangerous habit to have. It's a dangerous habit to have. You see these singers, these stars, 
who once were star, they start to fade, and they do almost anything they can to get back into the limelight, to be loved and adored again, to get their strokes again. You know, you know the, the greatest addiction in the world is fame. It's glory. Once you taste it, once you taste it, the accolades, and all the crowd, the stadium's full of people clapping and chanting your name. It's very difficult not to keep touring. Why do you think guys like Keith Richard keep getting on stage? It's almost in a coffin. Do you know what it's like for Mick Jagger to have women fawning on him? They're old enough to be his nieces, let alone his daughters. The fame. That's the world's path to greatness. The world's path to greatness. Exalt yourself. Beat others down. Win no matter what. And Jesus had a very different prescription for greatness. And the two are completely incompatible. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus is speaking to his followers. And the disciples began to argue among themselves as to who would be the greatest in the coming kingdom. Jesus said to them, in this world, the kings and the great men order their people around. And yet, they're still called friends of the people. But among you, those who are the greatest should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be a servant. Normally, the master sits at a table and is served by his servants. But not here, for I am your servant. But not here, Jesus said. Prime your servant. Here's the king of kings, right? We're talking God. We're talking the Messiah. We're talking the creator of the entire universe. <clears throat> We're talking the one who made the very men that he's talking to. And the very ground upon which they're sitting. And Jesus says to them, ironically, he does not rebuke them for wanting to be great. He tells them how. And it's the exact opposite of what men normally think. Take the lowest rank. Take the low place. Take the place, Jesus said, of the servant. Come alongside others, Jesus said, and seek to make them great. In Matthew chapter 20, we get another little insight in the way Jesus says this. Verse 24. When the ten disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So it was James and John on this occasion arguing about who's going to be great. Jesus called them together and he said, You know that in this world, kings and tyrants and officials lord it over the people beneath them. But among you it should be quite different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must become your slave. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life a ransom for many. And then last, in Matthew 23, verse 11, 
Jesus says this. The greatest among you must be the servant. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's the exact, it's the exact opposite reality. When I think self-exaltation, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but most of you remember this. I think Deion Sanders and Michael Irvin. First guys come to mind. Self-exaltation. Today, Terrell Owens. Self-exaltation. Self, self, self. All about self. Jesus was not about self. Jesus was about others. And Jesus is saying, I want you on the path to greatness. I want you to be great. But the pathway to greatness is to put others beside you first. The path to greatness is to serve and not be served. The path to greatness, Jesus said, your care for others is the measure of your greatness. Your care for others is the measure of your greatness. I have had the privilege of, I really have had the privilege of living with one of the most extraordinary people I've ever known, my wife. And she's been remarkable for me to watch Kathy over the 30 years I've known her, but over the almost 27 that we've been married. To watch her service to others. To watch her take the low position. And, and one of the things that has really struck me over the last 21 months of my daughter's illness. And some of the things that my wife now has to help my daughter do because of the breakdown of her immune system and her body. The constant care that Kathy gives to Jessica. Kathy does not think about herself. She doesn't think about what she's missing. She doesn't sit in her chair and cry over You know, Mark, we can't go on dates, we can't do this, we can't do that. Her life is about service to this one person. Because, you see, Kathy knows that God sees that. And she serves Jessica as unto the Lord. She understands that when I serve Jessica, I'm serving Christ. It's inspired me. It inspires me. And I remind myself that when I get up in the middle of the night with Jessica, or when I do the things that I can do, there's things Kathy does that I cannot do. So I try to do the things that I can do around the home to make their life as comfortable as possible. I watch my wife serve Jessica when pain is going down her own left side, from her neck down to her toe. I watched Kathy set aside her surgery that she was supposed to have 12 and a half months ago because she could not have the surgery and convalesce with just being this sick. And I got a feeling that someday Kathy will reign over me in the other world. The servant, the servant will be great. The servant will be great. The person who humbles themselves. The person who seeks to make others great. I have a a book right here. I call it my thought book. And um, I'm hoping next year to um, print it and give it to you as a gift. 
I'm calling it thoughts provoking. But one of the things that I wrote in here a number of years ago, as I was pondering my life, I wrote, you know, I used to think my life was about what I could do for God. But now I realize that my life is what I, about what I can help others do for God. It's all about others. That's what Jesus was all about. It's all about others. How can I help others succeed? How can I help them grow? How can I lay my life down for them? Whether it's the child or my wife or a friend or a neighbor or brother or sister in Christ. A number of years ago, I received a phone call from a pastor's wife. <clears throat> she hadn't been a pastor's wife very long. And, and so she was getting used to the, the new role of all the different things that her husband was doing and, and the demands that were made on her. And she asked me, she said, Mark, how do you how do you wear so many different hats? I said, well, I don't. I said, well, what do you mean you don't? I said, well, let me read something to you. There's really only one hat for a Christian to wear. And that's the hat of a servant, a bond slave of Christ. No matter how many roles you may think you have, there's really only one the servant role. Whether you're married or single. Male or female, employer or employee, husband or father, wife or mother. We wake up each day as a servant and we serve whoever God has in our life. Kids, spouse, saint or sinner, family or friends, employer or employee. The servant is our role. This makes life so simple. The greatest will be the servant of all. Roles simply define the type of service needed. Role is simply to find the type of service needed. As a daddy, I provide a certain service to children. As a husband, I provide a certain service to my wife. As pastor, I provide certain service to those I care about. And the list goes on and on and on and on. This is the attitude. Christ wants us to cultivate this spirit, this attitude of servanthood, of getting involved and contributing, not sitting out in the stands being the spectator. You know what's interesting? You may have never thought this before. Never. We love, I don't want you to know this as as the rock here, we love having you come. I love having you come. I am so thankful for your attendance here at church. But you know, there's a lot of people here, they come in for a number of years, and you sit out there like your kings, while the servants provide a service for you. There's ministries here that need help. The PA needs help. The setup needs help. There's all kinds of things here that need help, that could use your talents, your abilities, your energy. But instead, we choose to let others serve us. Do you get it? Do you understand? Actually, let's just be honest. Every church in America, there should be people that are coming, beating down the doors to serve so that there's never a need in the child care. There's never a need over here. There's never a need over here because why? Because we're a church full of servants. 
Well, it's pretty obvious in America. We don't think that way. What we like is to show up, let a few professionals do their thing, and I go home to my pot roast. It's the revolutionary life. is a life that's lived all out for the audience of one. You see, for the audience of one. For Christ. Because he's watching. He's watching every thought, every word, every attitude. He's keeping track. He's going to reward you. He's going to bless you. And we'll find out as the days go forward who the servants are and who the servants aren't. Who the revolutionaries are and who the revolutionaries aren't. And my prayer, my earnest prayer, is that you choose the revolutionary life. Next week we're going to finish this series. And I'd like to invite you back because it'll be kind of the culmination of all the teachings of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you tonight for your mercy. But I want to thank you, Lord, tonight for your servanthood. I want to thank you tonight for the fact that you're still going out of your way for every single one of us here. You're still serving the world. You're still serving the lost. You're still serving people who spit in your eye. What a profound effect, Lord, we would have on the world around us. If we went to our job tomorrow with an attitude that I'm going to be the greatest servant here. I'm going to be the greatest servant that this place has ever seen. Whether they promote me or mock me. Whether they ridicule me or enrich me. Because of Jesus Christ, because of what He's done for me, I am going to be a revolutionary servant. And I'm going to take on the attitude that nobody here owes me a thing. God has given me everything I need and I am going to blow these people's minds with my servanthood. It is in this way, Lord, I believe that we will reach a broken, lost, hurting world. When we lay aside our rights and our privileges like Jesus did, and we roll up our sleeves, literally or figuratively, and say, here I am. How can I help? When we look around and we don't wait to be asked to do things, but we see something needs to be done and we serve. Give us that heart of God. The heart to live like the Son of God Himself. In Jesus' name.